Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 78, Christine Catherine Rush stops by the show. Yes, that Christine Catherine Rush. And today we talk about what it takes to be a long-term professional writer. Christine has been writing for many years and offers sage wisdom and advice for the long-term writer. Because as I look around the indie landscape, as I look around the writing Landscape is there's so many people doing the short term thing, trying to get the short win, not thinking long term. But if you want to make it in the writing game for more than five minutes, Christine Catherine Rush is going to help you. Hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed doing the interview. But before we get to that, how about some intro music? Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips and advice on writing fast, writing often and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. I am your host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm so glad that you are here. However you found us, however you are listening to my voice in your ears, maybe you're doing the dishes. Hey, maybe you're writing a book. Hey, maybe you're on a plane. Maybe you're on a train. Maybe you're in the car with the kids and they're screaming in the backseat. And this is the only solace that you have in your life right now. However you found us, I'm so glad that you have visited the Prolific Writer Podcast. And maybe it is your first time. And uh, if it is, welcome. It's the podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well, and other things like helping motivated writers get unstuck and get their words out in the world and, and build businesses with their words and all good stuff. And so we interview some of the most prolific writers on the planet and offer you some great advice uh, in, in the writing space and how to get your words out there, how to publish and all those good things. And today I am so privileged to have Christine Catherine Rush on the show. And I'm not going to say much in this introduction today because this episode is jam packed with goodness, writerly goodness, sage advice from a writer who has been around a long time and that's no slam on her, but the reality is that she's been writing for 30 plus years and it has been extremely successful fiction and nonfiction. And she is the wife of Dean Wesley Smith, who we've had on the show, another prolific writer who has also been around for 35 plus years. And what I want you to do today is just listen and take notes Get out a piece of paper, get out an app, get out something, whatever you need to do. If you need to scroll on the inside of a cave, whatever helps you uh, get, follow along today because Catherine is Christine Catherine Rush is a longtime writer and you want to listen to the long time, long term writers and what it takes because there's so much short term 
things going on in the indie landscape, people thinking if I just throw up a few books on Amazon, I'm going to make a living and maybe you've had some success and you know, that could go away very quickly. So she talks a lot about what it takes to make it long-term and it just gives us so much good advice. So, so buckle in, I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. I don't have a lot of other housekeeping details. So before we get, uh, to the interview, how about some bumper music? Well, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. Uh, so excited today to have Christine Catherine Rush on the show. And she is a best-selling author, writer, publisher. She's been around a long time, so we're not going to go into how many books she has. Uh, but I'm so excited to have her because she's a long-term writer, and we learn so much from our long-term writers th- that have been around. They can teach us a ton of stuff. And we had Dean Wesley Smith on the show. And if you didn't know that, they, they are happily married. So we'll get into that, too. So, um, so why don't you say hello, Christine, and uh, say a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Christine Rush. I'm happy to be on the podcast, and I love talking about long-term careers. That's one of the things that I try to help writers with the most, is maintaining their career for a lifetime. Well, that's great. And uh, yeah, having your your husband on last year was so great, because there's just something about people that have been around, have seen so many things, and you write about it, you talk about it, uh, you help us writers who are starting out not make the dumb mistakes and, and learn from, you know, the best. So, uh, so really excited. So I, I wanted to just jump in with a, a, a broad question, but because you, you've been writing for a long time is what keeps you going? Like what, what keeps you writing? I mean, what keeps you excited getting to the chair every day? And, uh, you're, you know, you're still very prolific. So yeah, what, what, what keeps the joy of writing going? Well, I'm a storyteller and uh, that's what I do. And, and so stories just kind of come to me and I want to put them down. I think um, the other thing that keeps me coming to the chair is a challenge. I can't imagine, no offense to the writers who are this way, but I can't imagine being the writer who writes the same story over and over and over again, whether it's in the same genre or whatever. I, I can't do that. Um, my, um, I call it my subconscious. Um, you know, it, it continually serves up stories that I don't think I can write um, or they're bigger or grander. And I don't necessarily mean in scope that the reader will see, but for me, you know, it's always, I always feel like I'm walking on some kind of knife's edge and that keeps me interested. Can I actually pull this off? I don't know. Let's try. Well, I love that. Uh, So many writers, I think maybe fall into the trap of, you know, one genre. I got to write this one, you know, I like mysteries, so I better write mysteries. And, And yet you've kind of gone all over mysteries, thriller, sci-fi, romance, you name it. You've probably, probably written it. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about that. So where, where do like the seeds of the ideas come from? Is it, is it, a you know, I read this, this idea came, this word came, this phrase came. I mean, how do you know kind of what, what's your next project? Okay. Those are two separate questions. Um, how did the idea come? Well, you know, you just listed a bunch of things and I can say categorically, yes. <laughs> Um, you know, there's this feeling when I was reading, I live in Vegas, um, the, uh, a year ago, um, the massacre happened here and I was reading an article about the coroner, I mean, the horrors that those people went through. And there's a, there's a phrase that he used in there. And I had this feeling as I read it, I suddenly went, ah, there's an idea. And it probably won't be about what he went through. That's his story. And, you know, what the people who lived here at the time went through, that's their story. But that phrase will then become something for me. Um, but there's that feeling as you read it or, or as I'm watching something or as I'm thinking about something, it's just kind of like, whoa, there it is. There's something there. I am not a planner when I write. So, um, you know, I just start with whatever it is and let it go and, and see what happens next. Kind of like what happens to people when they read? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I work on next? Whatever the subconscious serves up next. Um, I do have a list of things that um, I want to do, um, but sometimes I simply can't do them immediately. I just finished a big project in my diving universe, um, and it's like 1,500 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's long. And I need to write the next book in that series immediately, 
but my brain is tired. It's like, can we write something else? <laughs> yeah, my subconscious whines. Can we write something else right now? We're really tired of roaming around in space. We'd like to do something set here, please. So I, rather than listening to the whining in my own head, I write something else and then I'll come back to the other side. Well, I love that. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, you talk about this. I've heard, you know, Dean talk about this as the subconscious kind of that, you know, you've been a storyteller since since birth. I mean, everyone just absorbs story. And, and I think sometimes we're insecure thinking, I'm going to run out of ideas or there's nothing else to say, or, you know, I'm just gonna have to keep writing the same things. Um, I really, I really appreciate that perspective because I, that, those are the questions I get a lot too, is, you know, where do you get ideas? How do you keep, keep doing this? But it's amazing how much all those things are, are they're just there. You, you know, you read an article and there, there you go. There's a little story idea, a little seed right um and and i think it's sometimes just trusting that um it sounds like you write into the dark as dean does as well and uh and and you know some the question i've heard him talk about reading his book and you've talked about it is you know what do i do if i get stuck or where's the next you know you know word gonna be or page or or what have you but yet it 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 just continues to come and you just kind of follow the story as as it goes um, so let's, let's talk about, uh, just back it up a little bit. Uh, you know, where did, did the creative stuff come from? Where did the writing, the storytelling, you know, was it in your home? Were you, were you a reader to talk a little bit about your, your story and kind of your origin story, if you will. Well, I came from a family of readers, um, a very literate family, um, and a professor. My father was a professor and my mother was a housewife or very few of those anymore, but she was, um, but I was a, what my family called the surprise my uh, nearest sibling is 16 years older than me. And so, you know, I was really a surprise. My mother used to say, that's what happens when you take a boy to college, which, you know, as a teenager, I just didn't want to hear. Um, and so one of my earliest memories is going around, I must have been three, um, I, and I had a toy in my hand. And I'm going around to five adults, my parents and my siblings, saying, would you play with me? Would you play with me? And to a person, the response was, no, I'm reading. Um, and so sometimes I think, you know, becoming a writer was simply a desperate bid for attention. Um, other times I think it's just, it's just encoded in there. My, um, my, I come from a family of ministers actually on my mother's side, but those are storytellers and writers. My, uh, uncle on my mother's side was a major newspaper editor. Um, on my father's side, there were writers as well. So there is also the genetic side of everything. But stories are big in my family, and, and we all used to sit around and tell stories. I'm not as good a verbal – I'm better now, but I'm not as good a verbal storyteller because I'm shy. Mm-hmm. And so you know, my brain gets in the way, but I could put it on paper, and I'd be fine, and people would be entertained. Was there a was there a moment or a time when when you said okay now I'm gonna I'm gonna try to write my first uh, book short story whatever it was do you remember when that was or what it was and uh, how that went I do um, but it didn't quite go that way I went to what we would now call a school for gifted and talented kids we didn't call it that then it was attached to the university it was called a laboratory school literally they were experimenting teaching techniques on us Mm. but we were all um brought in because we had passed i don't know what the standards were most of us were kids of professors um and uh they one of the teaching techniques that they practiced on us i i had to be eight um because i didn't start in the school until i was seven my first year was in a different community um was to, we wrote our own children's books. We had a big project where we wrote our own children's books and illustrated them and did everything. And I remember that vividly. It was a lot of fun. And I remember being extremely frustrated because I can't draw my way out of anything. I I am terrible at art. Um, And I, you know, I thought the story was great because I was an egotistical little kid, but I knew the art was awful and I wanted somebody else to draw it. And one of my good friends was a great artist for an eight year old and I wanted her to draw it and the teacher wouldn't let me. Um, so, you know, we did the books, we stapled them together, we mass produced them somehow. I don't know if we did it on, cause this was not photocopy time. This was, you know, uh, whatever, you know, we, we copied them by, I can't remember the name of that machine now, but anyway, mm-hmm. we did all of that and, uh, that was a lot of work, but it was, it was, I had fun. So that was my earliest memory of writing a story. I love that. So that actually was your first publishing business, right? That, that's mass, <laughs> mass producing children's books. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so, so when was there a moment, kind of the aha moment of, uh, not only do I enjoy telling stories, but I think I want to do this maybe the rest of my life, or I just want to be a storyteller. Was there, was there a time, a season, um, you know, college, post-college where you said this, I'm, I'm all in. 
No, I was always there. Um, I was always a writer. Because I came from such a literate family, I was told repeatedly that fiction writers can't make a living at it because, you know, that's what was in the zeitgeist that was out there. And I wasn't bright enough the way that Dean was to say, but look at all these people who are writing books. Are they making a living? I, I didn't think that through. But my brother, um, who is the oldest child in the family, when I, I think I was 12, he gave me a subscription to Writer's Digest, which tells you just how much I was interested in writing at mm -hmm. the time. And that I read that for oh, ever, um, and I subscribed forever. So I went in and I learned that you know you could submit work and you could do all of that stuff, and that was kind of a turning point for me. I figured I would have to be a nonfiction writer to make a living, and then I could write fiction on the side. And I did that for a number of years. It wasn't until I met Dean who said, you know, if you stop using all your writing energy on nonfiction and get a day job. And then, you know, spend the rest of your writing energy on fiction that I actually tried to do that. Um, I, I, I worked for a forensic psychologist as a secretary, and I feel really bad for him even now because <laughs> I, I was really terrible at filing. <laughs> really bad. Now, do you, do you find uh, you do you do quite a bit of nonfiction? I mean, when it comes to, you know, writing advice and business stuff, we'll get into some of that, too. Uh, you, you know, do you find when you were making that transition from nonfiction to fiction, was that was that an easy transition for you or was it kind of flexing a different muscle? Like like how would how did that go when those first kind of attempts at, at fiction stuff? Well, I always wrote fiction, always. And so, um, you know, there wasn't a, that kind of transition ever. It was the nonfiction that I started doing in order to make the fiction work. And what I used to do was I did nonfiction six days a week, and on Saturday I wrote a short story. Um, and I just set it aside and wrote the short story on Saturday and didn't do anything else. And uh, so I was always doing both. The, the transition was moving from the six days a week doing the nonfiction, which was bringing in my income, to adding in a day job and then writing fiction and spending more time at writing fiction. That was, that was the hard part. The other part was with fiction – it's so easy to distract yourself and do other things that makes you feel like you're working. Mm -hmm. I actually had to teach myself how to put butt in chair. Mm -hmm. And I say that I have the attention span of a hummingbird, which is probably not fair to hummingbirds. <laughs> and um, so what I did was I, I set up an area that there was nothing near me, just the computer in front of me. And actually, in those days, it was a typewriter, which tells you how long I've been doing this. Um, and uh, that was it. No books, no nothing. If I wanted something else, I had to get up and get it. And I set a little timer on my desk, and I had to stay there for an hour. And since I have the attention span of a hummingbird, um, I eventually got bored and started telling myself stories. It took about a week for that to work, but it did. That's great. So when you were writing, uh, you know, some of these first short stories, was there, was there particular genres that you were really interested in writing in or did you kind of just go and it just went where it needed to go? Well, I always wanted to write romance and historical romance. I was a history major and there were no markets for that. Mm. So when I was writing short stories, you know, I started because I had college classes in, in literary, in fiction and, you know, creative writing classes. I wrote a lot of literary fiction, but it always had Kevin J. Anderson was in my writing class. And that's where I met him. Um, he does the Dune stuff and, and his own stuff, Wordfire Press. And um, Kev uh, would say to he pulled me aside one day and he said, "You write such great Twilight Zone fiction." And I'm like, "I do not, you know, literary family. I do not write that <laughs> stuff." But I did. That's what I was writing. And, and from that point on, Kev and I were kind of best friends, buddies, writing buddies, and. Uh, I accepted my science fiction nature and did that as well as the literary stuff, which gradually fell by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I don't, I still occasionally commit literary fiction, mm -hmm. but not as often as I used to. Now, do you have, is it, I don't, maybe it's not fair. Cause you already, you already said that you like to write in different genres and you know, wherever the subconscious creative brain goes. But uh, I mean, do you have like a favorite genre that you maybe love to read or write in, or is it just kind of your agnostic when it comes to that? I think, Judging by what I read most, because I keep a list and I do a recommended reading list on my blog, um, I tend to read more mystery than anything else. Um, and most of what I write has a mystery in it. Whatever genre it is, it has a mystery in it. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily call that my, my favorite genre. My favorite genre is whatever I'm reading this week. Mm -hmm. 
whatever I need to read this week. Um, and uh, I I never learned about genres again until college, and and then I understood. Oh, this is a marketing thing because I just thought everybody walked into a bookstore and just grabbed books off the shelf from the whole bookstore. I didn't know that people made a beeline to a particular section. <laughs> yeah, that was, you, you've talked about that. I've heard Dean talk about that too. Is that really is a people don't realize a you know, categories are just for marketing. It's for selling, right? It's, it's not, Oh, you go to a bookstore and you buy books, whatever you want. Right. Some of these things are new to, you know, to us or, or those that have really studied the history of it. You know, I love you guys have talked about too, just the, you know, even the size of books, the length of books, you know, uh, in the more modern times, you know, they're just a lot of filler, a lot of, you know, to justify publishing costs and to make things look important and all that. But, but, you know, the pulp air and things, I mean, these were shorter books, fast reads. I mean, that was normal. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it's not always just because, oh, they're better books. It's just, it, there's reasons behind, you know, uh, why, why publishers do certain kinds of things. Um, and, and one of the things I, uh, those that are listening, if you don't haven't checked out Christine's blog, you need to, cause she writes a lot about this stuff and business and cause she's been around and, and, and just the things to watch out for. Um, you know, as you've kind of been around the publishing business on so many levels, you've started your own publishing companies, you've, you know, have traditionally published books. Um, you know, can you share a time just maybe, a I hate using a strong word like a failure, but maybe where you fell on your face and then kind of what you learned from it. I mean, whether it was it didn't have the right knowledge, whether it was, you know, I, I, I didn't ask someone or what, whether it's writing or publishing, can you just share kind of a, a lesson learned from a failure? Well, um, boy, there's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with a writing one. Um, talking about, you know, back before I was, um, writing, you know, when I was writing the fiction and nonfiction, I have a very vivid memory of coming home late from work. Um, I, I also had a, I worked at a listener sponsored radio station as a journalist and I came home late and, and it was in the Midwest and it was really hot. It was in the summer and I wrote a story, um, in my office. I was finishing up the one from Saturday and it was the early days of computing and I didn't back it up. I didn't save it. And, um, the air conditioning units in the building were malfunctioning and the power went out and I lost the whole story. Oh, I was so mad. <laughs> I was unbelievably furious. I was tired. I had a headache. It was 95 degrees outside with 95% humidity and probably 120 inside. And I made myself go back to sit down, butt in chair and write that story all over again from what I could remember about it. I don't think I got to bed until two in the morning and I had to be up at six. Um, and, uh, that was a lesson to me about, you know, first of all, back things up. Um, but it was also a lesson about, you know, this, it wasn't about what was on the page. It was about what was in your head. And that, that worked for me. Um, but failure, I mean, our first publishing company was Paul Pass Publishing. And, um, we were a debt-free corporation until, the first Gulf War, and I, I actually cite that as an instance because um, all mail order business stopped. That was called the first TV war, which really isn't true. Vietnam was, but um, most of us ended up watching the first Iraq war, the first Gulf war in real time on television, as opposed to Vietnam, which we saw in clips. Um, and so, um, you know, people were watching their television sets. They weren't reading, they weren't ordering things, and Pulp House Publishing was, in addition to a limited edition bookstore or uh, publishing company, it was mostly mail order. And we had no clue what, how to handle it. We didn't have enough capital to make it through, and we didn't know how long that was going to last, and we kept thinking it was going to change, and it didn't. And so we went from a debt-free corporation to being hundreds of thousand dollars in debt within six months. At that point, we had to do what we should have done in the first place, which was lay off staff and downsize and do all that other stuff, um, which is no fun. It's awful. It's terrible. Um, and we had made the mistake at that company of hiring friends, many of whom were no longer friends after they got laid off. Um, not that I blame them in any sense. And Dean and I spent the next, I don't know, who can tell you exactly because he's the number guy, um, six, seven years of our lives paying back that debt because writers in the United States can't go bankrupt. We lose our copyrights. So we didn't dare go bankrupt. We paid all that debt back. Um, that was, I just told you that in, what, three minutes? But that was a huge failure. And a lot of what I write about on my blog, on those, those Thursday writing blogs, come from that period of time because 
each lesson was tiny and big at the same time. And I don't want anybody else to go through what I've gone through. I'd rather have you guys learn from my mistakes than make those same mistakes yourself. You know, thank you for, for sharing that. I know that was a, I know you've, you've talked about it different times and places. And so is Dean and, you know, painful time, obviously. Uh, you know, what I, what I love about that story though, is, is, you know, I mean, obviously you could have just said, you know, forget the writing stuff. We'll just go get day jobs and, you know, just call it a day. And it, we tried and, but you guys really did kind of <laughs> hone down, buckle down or whatever, you know, words you want to use and started and just kept writing. And I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, that's part of digging yourself out of the, you know, you didn't, you didn't just, you know, go sell everything and, and say, well, yeah, I guess we got to do something else, but you just kept writing and, and showed actually the world that you can make a living writing. And now, I mean, a lot of things are going great, got into some indie publishing stuff too, and, and all that. And, and that, I love that part of your story too. Um, and so, so talk a little bit about that too. Uh, just the transition into kind of, you guys always talk about the new indie world. Um, you know, it was kind of early, you know, 2010 or somewhere in there. Um, you know, what was that for you guys? I mean, kind of shifting from, I mean, you guys wrote hundreds of novels, hundreds of short stories, traditionally published, you know, uh, you name it, Star Trek, you know, men in black, name it. Um, and then kind of going indie, what was that, that kind of, uh, like as you kind of began to dip your toe into, into indie world? Well, it, that's kind of a fun story. Um, the reason that at least I wrote a lot of the, uh, tie-in novels was because we were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And I could write Italian novel fast. I kept doing my other stuff. Dean just kind of does what Dean does, which is jump in both feet, you know, into whatever the project was. And that was, um, you know, Italian novels, which ended up paying a lot of it back. Back in those days, um, the Italian novels paid a lot of money, which was really useful. Um, so we learned a lot doing that. But, um, you know, we were paying all this stuff back. We were discouraged. We were we had learned a lot. Dean called it our, our uh, Ivy League education because essentially, you know, we paid about double what you would pay for two people to go through um, a graduate and undergraduate program at the Ivy League. Um, but we were paying it back. And midway through that, um, Fred Pohl, um, Frederick Pohl, the science fiction writer uh, and editor, um, he pulled Dean aside and said, you will get through this, which was so meaningful to both of us because – Fred, I mean, there were still people in the field who hated him at that point because he had had a big failure like we had with Pulp House. He was an agent and he didn't pay the writers um, because his income collapsed. I mean, people still hate Fred because of, of that. Most of the folks are gone now. Fred is, too. But, you know, he just a couple of words of encouragement. It really helped. And so it was pretty devastating um, having that company go down, paying that back doing it by writing because we didn't want to get no day job. I actually thought about it because I was a journalist and I did run a, you know, a news department for years and there was a news job open in the small community that we lived in. And I looked at it and I looked at how many hours it would be. And I realized that if I just wrote short fiction that year, I would make double the amount of money they were going to pay me <laughs> as the news director. Cause uh, writing, if you're prolific pays well in traditional and in indie. Mm -hmm. uh, prolific and good. Um, but Dean kept joking because we had this Ivy League education, as he said, in publishing, he kept saying, let's start another publishing company. And I'm like, no. And you know, <laughs> I would like hold up fingers at the cross and I'm like, no, back away, back away from temptation, you're Satan. Get me back. Get, me, get away from me. No, no. <laughs> and um, then, uh, and that went on for almost two decades. And then, you know, the Kindle came and, and, um, some friends of ours, Michael Totten and Scott Carter, Scott William Carter, pulled us aside because we were doing other, you know, I was starting to, the recession happened and I decided, you know, I better, I, this freelancer's guide that I wanted to write, and it was too late already to sell it um, into the world so that, because a lot of writers, when there's a recession, quit their day jobs, lose their day jobs, decide, I'm going to write. And most of them fail. So I wrote the freelancer's survival guide on my blog, which is how it started, which is, by the way, chriswrites.com. Um, and I just kind of segued into that, and Scott and Michael pulled us aside and said, you know, this whole new world, it, it's, it's online, and here's how you go about it. So we were looking at what they told us. Dean hold, and um, some friends held a little thing about indie publishing so he could get stuff into the Kindle, and he published as a practice about the same period of time, in October, I guess it was, um, of that year, he published two of my short stories. One of them was a retrieval artist short story, 
and a couple of things of his. And then um, fast forward to April when I was doing the uh, freelancer's guide and Mike and Scott pulled us aside and we were talking about that. We got back and um, we had just gotten paid from Amazon and we made $15. And I looked at them and went, are you kidding? We did no advertising. You did no work. We made $15 on this brand new technology. And he goes, yeah. And I said, then we need to start a publishing company. And he looked at me like I was insane. Was, what have you done with my wife? You've been <laughs> no to this. And now you're saying we need to do it. And I'm like, yes, now's the time. There's no capital. There's no upfront cost. We can get in there. We get in at the ground floor and look at all this material. We have all these old short stories and these books that are long out of print. Let's put them back up there. I never thought of doing original work at that point. Mm-hmm. But you know, within six months, the amount of money we were making was like, why aren't we doing original work? Of course we should be doing original work. Mm-hmm. Um, we get most of the money as opposed to five, six, seven percent of the money. Of course we should do it. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Yeah, as I say, the rest is history, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I love, you know, your your perspective and Dean's, It's you, you guys have, have really gotten down even practical that I don't think a lot of, you love to pull back the curtain and there's nothing to hide and there's nothing to, you know, be ashamed of. It's like, hey, this is what it is. This is how it works. And I've even, you know, seen Dean post some things about just very practically saying, well, could you make a living doing short stories alone? Could you make a living, you know, writing a couple novels and short stories and here's what it would take and here's X amount of, you know, call, what is he called? The Magic Bakery. And and, yeah. uh, you know, all these slices of the pie. And, and that's what I, I think a lot of writers don't realize is we think, well, we have to be a New York Times bestseller. That's the only way I'm going to ever make it. And, and yet, you know, so many writers that are making good livings. And, and again, you know, you've talked about, you know, you have to d- determine what a good living is or what what you need. And you probably part of that is cutting back some of your expenses and living simply. But but, you know, some of that is is it can be done. And and especially now in the, the new indie world where, you know, you are keeping a lot of your royalties, you're not dealing with middlemen, things like that. Uh, but you just have to write a good book. Um, and so, you know, as you've kind of, you know, gone into, you know, tradi- I mean, you're kind of. Uh, could I call you a hybrid? I don't know, you know, yeah. traditionally and, you know, indie published. I mean, you've obviously seen both worlds for many years. Um, what would you say are some of the benefits of traditional and then, and then, uh, you know, the, the, I'd say the pros of traditional, the cons of traditional, and then kind of the, some of the pros of indie cons of indie as well. That's a good question. Um, it depends on what part of traditional you're talking about. Um, there were a lot of pros to traditional 15 years ago. It's different now. Um, and, you know, just as an aside, you mentioned, you know, writers think that you have to become a New York Times bestseller now in order to make a living at it. I hate to tell you guys this, but most New York Times bestsellers are not making a living at it. They can't handle the money. The money is way down from what it used to be, um, significantly down. And the payments come in small chunks scattered over years. And so if you're bad at money management, you're not going to be a full-time writer, even if you are a New York Times bestseller. It's really tough. That didn't always happen to be the case, and it's it's changed. Um, the contracts have also changed. So in traditional publishing, they end up with your intellectual property because of the the, cop, the contract. Um, excuse me, there. I need to take a drink of something. Um, so you know the the contracts on book publishing. I am now telling writers not to do it. You don't get enough distribution. There aren't as many brick and mortar bookstores anymore. And the um, ebooks are not being published at a price that readers want to pay unless you are their favorite writer. So if you're a new writer coming in, you're not going to be sampled as much. And now you have places like Tor Books, which are deciding not to send books to libraries in the first four months of release, which is just ridiculous. So as a new writer, you're not getting the exposure that you need. <clears throat> Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, and um, so that's, you know, that's a problem with the traditional book side. The traditional short story side is going strong and it's really better than it's ever been. Um, you still have to watch your contracts. Some of them are uh, rights grabby and, and some of them are great. Um, and some of them, you know, they release your rights within the space of, uh, oh, two, three months. And then you can indie publish it yourself. Um, but the great thing about short story publishing is that you're appealing to a completely different audience. So if you are in, um, 
let's say, uh, Ellery Mystery Magazine, and you happen to be in it with uh, Brendan Dubois and Doug Allen and a bunch of other well-known mystery writers. Um, Jeffrey Deaver publishes in there as well. Um, if they're in the same issue that you are, you get their fans to read your short story. It costs $1,000 a page to advertise in the Digest magazines. So in addition to what they're paying you to be in the magazine, you are getting, if your story runs five pages, you're getting an additional $5,000 of advertising. So, you know, plus I like writing short stories traditionally because it's a challenge. You know, somebody says, I'm doing an anthology about this. Would you like to be in it? And I think, oh, I can't write about that. Oh, wait, let me try. You know, whenever I hear myself say, I can't, I try. So I use it for, for uh, you know, kind of craft and to boost myself, to push myself. Um, so there are those benefits of traditional publishing. Plus, there's the whole wide world out there on traditional publishing. And I would absolutely love to have our own translation department at the publishing company that we own, which is WMG Publishing. But we haven't gotten there yet. And so I want people who are German, for example, to read my books in German. And so I go through traditional publishing there. The, the contracts, with the exception of Great Britain, the contracts in Europe are much better than the contracts here in the United States. And the same with uh, uh, the Asian markets, the African markets. Uh, the contracts are much better. So, you know, we get into all these other languages. So you are doing a lot of traditional, or I am anyway. Mm -hmm. you got to watch the contracts. And I know that's making some of you new, the writers who are listening to this go, what about, I don't understand contracts. I understand that. Mm -hmm. That's really the reason that most writers' careers disappear is because they don't understand licensing, business, copyright, and all of that. So if you want to have a writing career, you need to start learning that stuff too. Okay. So that's the, the speech about traditional. Mm -hmm. it, it's not as good as it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there are still some venues that are beneficial. On the other side, indie is, is really wonderful. Um, if you can avoid the scam artists, it's been around long enough now that there are scammers who know how to target writers. So they, they say, you know, pay me $2,000 to get your book published. Don't do that. Learn to do this stuff yourself. Figure it out. Learn how to run a business. Mm -hmm. Figure all of that out. Um, and... Uh, when you put the books up and you need to be in, you need to go wide, meaning you need to be in all of the different ebook platforms. You need to have a paper book and if possible, which isn't always possible, but if it is possible, try to get audio as well. Um, so that your readers have a choice and a way to come after you and to find your work. Um, and then you need to price it reasonably, which is not what's happening out of traditional publishing. And, uh, and then you need to be patient. It's going to take the, the problem with indie is uh, the comparison I like to make is it, with traditional publishing, they give you a chunk of money up front mm -hmm. and it's not enough to live on. It used to be, but it's not. Um, it's maybe $5,000. And if you're a New York Times bestseller, it may be, you know, $35,000 of your $350,000 advance. Um, that may be enough for some people to live on, but not if you take taxes and all the other stuff out and it's got to cover you for a year. Um, so, you know, you get that chunk of money up front. You publish your first indie book or even your 15th indie book, you're not going to get $35,000 in that first month. It's just not going to happen unless you're on a runaway series that's really, really successful. You may get 500 bucks. You may get 1000 But it's the accumulation over time. And learning that difference has been the hardest thing for writers who are hybrid because you're used to getting money up front right. and then – you know, getting paid for your work in advance. And the other ways, instead of, you know, with indie, you may get the $35,000 by year three, and boy, the book has, is starting to take off at that point. You know, that kind of patience is not how writers are trained. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really helpful. I, I think being in both worlds, living in both worlds, you can give some great I think, perspective on that. And I don't think people realize that. And I, I just read an article the other day, and it's really sad. This woman was just writing about, you know, her traditional deal. And, you know, after three years, it was like, she had like $15,000, you know, to live off of. And, and th those are the stories that I don't think enough people are talking about, you know, so everyone goes, well, I got my deal. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, I hope you hope you have other ways of making money. Um, and, you know, and I think that's important. I mean, if you're trying to make a living just from your, your writing and your publishing. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, so 
Uh, so Christine, you and Dean do a lot of writers workshops and I've been meaning to ask, ask you this because you do, you do them on a variety of subjects. I mean, from craft to business, to publishing, to all kinds of things, motivation, you name it. And I wanted to, just because you, you've been, uh, teaching and, and been, you know, writers come out, came out to your house and you still do workshops in person. I love that. And do it online is, you know, just cause you've been around a lot of writers, you know, from, the professional to the, the just beginning writer is I wanted to kind of break it down maybe into three just buckets, kind of craft business marketing. And you know, what are, when it comes to craft, what, what are just some rookie, I call them just rookie mistakes that you see maybe that are, that are repetitive when someone comes to a workshop, they're you know, kind of showing you, showing you work. What are the, the myths, the lies they believe? What are the things they kind of fall on their face? Is, is there a common thread you see when it comes to craft? That they can write they can rewrite and make the story better. That is the biggest mistake most writers make. Um, that's a teaching tool. That is something that I, I come from a family of professors. One of them is an English professor, and she used to tell me that she made her students rewrite so that she didn't have to read, and she had to read them, you know, hundreds of papers every week. She could just glance through and see what they fixed. Um, so that's the wrong attitude. But so the rewriting thing on the craft level is is super important. The other thing is writers beginning writers don't realize that they're storytellers first. That's the most important thing. It's not about the words. It's about the story. And if they think about that, then they have the answer to, you know, how come so-and-so is a bestseller and his sentences are terrible? Mm -hmm. Well, the terrible sentence may be in service of the story. Mm -hmm. It may actually make the story better. And if you write it all in lovely prose, the terrible, the the story will disappear. Um, The other huge mistake that writers make, especially in the beginning, but all the way through their career is they don't read enough. Mm. And I don't mean read, you know, with a lot of attention to exactly what this writer is doing, because that's not how the book was intended. The book was written for enjoyment. Somebody was going to take, wrote a book so that other people could disappear into their world and into their story. And if you're reading it critically, you're not disappearing, you're paying attention to the words. So you need to teach yourself to learn to read for enjoyment again. Mm. One of the things I do when I'm teaching craft workshops is I give books, I assign books up front and I started doing that because I wanted to have the same language um, for all the students. And I wanted it to have be fictional language, not we all saw the same movie and I'm using a movie comparison. We're not writing movies, we're writing books. So what I ended up learning from that is that writers don't read a lot. They do read critically and they don't read outside their genre or they don't read their genre, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I started switching the lists around and telling people that they needed to read the thing they thought they were going to hate the most first, because usually those, I think I'm going to hate that genre stuff comes from not having ever read it. Mm -hmm. And it's been amazing to me. I mean, if I could quit right there and not teach them anything (laughs) because so many writers have found their genre that they hadn't read before. They just started in one and they stayed there and they didn't realize that they really love the other genre, whatever it is. So that's, good. that's craft one. Uh, what were the other two? Yeah. So when like business, I know you've mentioned, you know, no, even earlier in the interview, you know, contracts, but you know, when it comes to the business side, I mean, there's a kind of, you know, business one-on-one, like, Hey, these are the things you should, you need to think about that you haven't thought about. Okay. The first thing you have to understand is that you are not selling stories. You are not selling books. You are licensing copyright. And if you don't know what that means, what that sentence means, then you need to pick up the copyright handbook that's put out by NOLO Press, N-O-L-O, and read it. It's going to be dry. Um, so I suggest putting it somewhere where you read in snatches, you know, say the bathroom, um, and and try to understand it. Um, we still get the copyright handbook every time a new edition comes out because this is a growing, changing body of the law, and you need to understand it. You need to understand what you're licensing. And if you don't, then you're really screwing up as a writer. That's going to destroy your career more than anything else. The other thing that's going to destroy your career is not knowing how to handle money. And in the United States, we do not teach our children in school or anywhere else how to handle finances, especially long-term finances. So if you get a huge, that's why so many of the people who win the lottery Mm-hmm. end up going bankrupt because they huge <laughs> chunk of money and they didn't understand that they had to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand that you can't give Uncle Phil, you know, the car of his dreams because your money's going to run out mm-hmm. at some point. Um, and so, you know, learning money, money management, planning, all of that, that's really going to help you. And then the other major thing is do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so many people hire money managers, they hire agents, they hire lawyers, they hire people to do this work that they don't like for them without understanding what the work actually is. Um, if you are going to hire someone, and I usually recommend that people do hire lawyers and good accountants down the road, you have to know what they're going to do first. Mm. So, you know, you don't hire a lawyer to handle stuff for you so that you don't have to bother your pretty little head about it. You hire them to do a particular job for you, and it's a job you have to understand. So writers out there, you're not just writing stories. You are a small business, and you need to slowly learn how to run that business and keep your fingers in every pie until you understand what it means to let go of that pie. Mm -hmm. well, that's really helpful. I remember you wrote something, um, it's probably a while back now, but uh, you know, use an example of an author who you know, made a bunch of money off, uh, you know, maybe in their first year, hit it big, but were really dumb with their money. And so they, you know, spent it all on, you know, everything else, but putting some of it away and thinking long-term. And I, I know you've, you've talked about that in the freelancer guide too, is just the, the, the up and down nature of writing, right? It's not, it's not just a steady climb. I mean, you're going to have down months, you're going to have down years and those kinds of things. So how do you use that money wisely and put, put it away, you know, and, and get, you know, figure out how to, how to use money. Like you said, I love you. I love your comment about kids not learning money. I have four kids and you know, it's, 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 it is, it's, it's, it's silly. I mean, I, as a grown adult getting married, I'm like, wait, I, I don't, I don't know how to use money. Like, I don't know how to budget. I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, unless you took an accounting, but even in accounting class, you don't learn that stuff either. It's, so it's, yeah, it is interesting that we just never really were taught that. And you kind of have to learn by failure sometimes. Um, or, or by astonishment. I, when I, I got married the first time in college and, uh, you know, we moved out of town, out of state and we were going to college and we had a lot of money that was gifted to us when we got married. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember saying to my ex-husband early on, you know, the bills happen every month, no matter what we do. And <laughs> right. it was a realization to me. I had no yeah, clue. Yeah. But that moment, I must have been 21. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. They right. still are going to charge you yep. bills every month. It doesn't yeah. matter if you paid it the month before. Yeah. Uh, I, was still, I was so astonished. I can remember that feeling deep yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. My my oldest son started, you know, he's get, he's more aware now. He's 11 or 12, you know, and he, he says, you know, he's like, Dad, gas costs that much? You know, and, you know, he's, he's watching me pay for things and he's like, food costs that much? I'm like, yeah, welcome to the big world, bud. You know, just have no idea. You know, it's stuff's expensive. But anyway, um, and then so, and then the other bucket was uh, just the kind of marketing bucket. So when you think about marketing, when you think about, you know, getting your work in front of readers, um, you know, what are some mistakes that maybe uh, newer writers, uh, even seasoned writers don't get right when it comes to marketing? Marketing is pretty simple. You put yourself in the space of the reader themselves because you, most of you are readers as well. And so, you know, if you think about how you feel about your favorite author and how you find out about those books, that's kind of how you should look toward marketing. But the most important aspect of marketing for any writer is write the next book. Mm -hmm. Think about it. You, you finish the book you just love at 1230 in the morning and you go, okay, what else have they written? Mm -hmm. What else is going on? Next thing they want to do is write the next book. Mm -hmm. So you, you read the next book. So you need to have that next book available or you need to let them know when the next book is coming out or how they can order it or if there is going to be a next book. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you do the basic stuff. You have a static website that lets them know what's going on. In the back of the book you just published, you tell them such and so book is coming at such and so time. If you don't know when it's coming, you just say, you know, brace yourself for the next book, whatever it's going to be. Um, you make it easy for them to find the next book. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the marketing is complicated and difficult and um but if you do the if you do the basic things, you have a good cover. You have a good you know you're on social media enough to let people know that your book is going to happen. Um, the next book, they will find you. Um, you know that's minimal marketing 101. And uh, you know then you can find ways to do marketing that are a lot of fun for you. Like me, writing short stories is a lot of fun for me. Um, so I do that, and then I let them know that the next book is coming in the little blurb about the story or whatever. Um, I put up a free short story every Monday on my website and I have done so since 2009. Um, and I cannot tell you how many writer or readers come to me and say, oh, yeah, I found you through this 
short story on your website, you know, and they wouldn't, they don't comment. That's the weird thing is I put up a free short story every week. No, sometimes I get zero comments. Sometimes I get one. Right. Nobody says anything. They just read it and move on. And I don't know how they respond to it. And that's different from my, my nonfiction blog, which like this, this morning before I started talking to you, I had 10 comments on the blog and it was like, okay, that one's starting to move. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a completely different way of going about things. Marketing is the least important thing that you do as a writer. Mm -hmm. Writing is the important thing mm -hmm. that you do as a writer. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you say that. I, I you know, I've, I kind of, you know, and I've learned that from you and Dean and, and just kind of what I, I preach too is just, you know, that next book is so important. And I think I, I just see so many writers, it's like, you know, that, that one book, you know, their first book or second book, they just, it becomes this, you know, um, I always call it the Gollum factor. It's the, my precious, you know, it's, and they just, they caress it and they, it's the best thing ever. And it's all about the marketing for, you know, just buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. But it's like, Hey, are you working on the next one? Are you working on the next one? Well, no, no, no. I got this, my precious, you know? Um, and I, and I think that's important. And I think that's part of, you know, what you guys talk about just practice, you know, it's, it's also craft. It's every book is another opportunity to practice and get better and, and become a better storyteller. So it's not like it's wasted energy, you know, as if, you know, well, I just, it's not a, you know, a factor, a book factory, but it's also getting better at your craft and learning how to do that. Well, um, also check out Christine's uh, discoverability book. It's a great book too. So I'll put that in the show notes. Um, a little plug for you. Um, so, so Christine, one question I, I, I love to ask writers cause everybody is so different and I, and I try not to say, you know, even for yourself, you know, Hey, you're a long-term writer. You had, you had a lot of success and, um, is, you know, this is the way to write a book or, or there's one way. And obviously there's many processes and, and ways of doing it. And I, I, I our, our community finds a lot of inspiration from just hearing different ways that people kind of write their books. So I always love to ask just a little bit about process. And you, you've mentioned a little bit um, so far, as far as ideas and where you get ideas from, and, and sounds like you maybe aren't an out, a big outliner. Um, but you know, once you let, let's just start from like your first draft. So you have your draft, you know, there's something completed. Where, where does it go from there? Like what's your next step after kind of the, the stories out of your head and out of the paper? Whoa. Well, there's a step ahead of that. Um, because most of what I write generally speak, except for, um, usually the romances and the Smokey Dalton books, which I write as Chris Scott. Almost all the other books that I write, I write out of order. Mm. Um, you know, whatever scene comes to me next, which is probably the most annoying way to write. <laughs> it's just, it's like, uh, how does that fit? You know, sometimes the stories will sit around for years before I realize, oh, that story goes right in the center of this book. So I have to, once I put the book together, I actually assemble it at the end. And I read back through it and, and take out my little bracket saying, check how many people died in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, you know, and I take out redundancies. But otherwise, the next step after I have that draft finished is I give it to Dean. Um, he's my first reader. And uh, generally, I give it to him with the, the statement of, well, tell me how badly this sucks. Uh, he always laughs at me. Um, and then uh, we figure out, you know, usually he's there to tell me what genre it's in because I don't know unless it's in one of my regular series. I have no idea. Um, and then I figure out what to do with it next. I don't rewrite uh, aside from assembling the book. Um, I move to the next project. And uh, that's pretty much the way that, that the process works. It works that way for most prolific writers because if we spent all our time rewriting, we wouldn't be writing as much as we actually are. Now, is Dean, is he um, pointing out, you know, spelling, grammar, you know, no. anything like that or no? Unless it, he's good at finding missing words. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. You know, but ew, the man can't spell anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I usually spell check it before I give it to him. Mm -hmm. um, unless it's something totally egregious or I use the wrong word, which is, which happens. Um mm -hmm. He doesn't find that stuff. He will tell me if, you know, a character, um, is illogical in, in the sense of, you know, they said they were adamantly uh, a pro sunshine on uh, page one and then they love the rain on page 50, <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's, it's more to look at the whole picture to mm -hmm. let me know if the book works, how it fits in what we're doing or, you know, what the series is doing. If it's a series book or what genre it's in, if it's not a series book. <laughs> now, do you have a, a set, you know, uh, daily word count, um, weekly, monthly, yearly. I mean, do you have kind of production schedules for yourself or is it just kind of go with the muse, however it, it works out? I have a, a set writing 
number, um, which came about because I have um, chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have a target that I shoot for and a target that I'm satisfied with. <laughs> I like that. And, yeah, I, I try to get 3,000 words a day. Now that I'm healthier because we're here in Las Vegas for my mm-hmm. health, um, I may up that to 5,000 a day. Mm-hmm. Depends. I'm also developing an actual life here because I can go out and do more things. Mm-hmm. So I may keep it at three. Um, but I'm happy with two, especially if I'm on a tough project. Um, you know, if I'm on an easy project, I can easily do 5,000 words a day mm-hmm. if I'm not. And uh, that is, uh, so that's why I'm thinking of revising that. But I do it by word count, sort of. Um, some projects lend themselves more to uh, by scene or by chapter mm-hmm. or by, you know, I got to get this particular incident out of my head than other projects. Um, and some are just sheer slogs, you know, where like, okay, I've got to get 2000 words, 3000 words today because, and I'm not moving my butt until I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it just, and it's not, it's not logical. I can't tell you that ahead of time. Even if I'm really excited about the project ahead of time, it may turn out to be a slog. And even if I think, Oh, I got to get this project done. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm starting it, it may turn out to be the most fun thing I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I like that. I, I, you've also mentioned. I think your is your um, business blog comes out. Is it Thursdays or Wednesday? Yeah. Um, it's Wednesday night. It's it's Thursday. I try for Thursday in England. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I those that are listening, you know, think about kind of self set deadlines or self, you know, whatever um, is you know those three thousand word blogs. You always say I'm going to have that at least that done, you know, by Thursday or Wednesday or whatever it is. Um, and that, I think that's really helpful just to just say that's a goal that, you know, I want to get those out. Obviously I, you know, you, you do a great job sharing that with us and, and others. Um, it, it's just to set those, those hard deadlines, even if you don't have a, you know, traditionally published person on your back or, you know, whatever. Um, another thing that's interesting you just said was, you know, whether you feel it or don't feel it or excited about it is Dean talks about that too. He's like, you can't really tell between if I was sick when I was writing that book or not. I mean, there, that's kind of that myth of, you know, you got to be in the perfect situation. Your health has to be perfect. Everything, you know, the, the stars have to align to really sit down and, and create the work um, that sometimes you can't really tell, you know, what, what was written in a good state or in a deathly ill state, or, you know, the cats are going crazy or the kids are losing their minds or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's important too, just when you think about kind of the workman like attitude of a writer too, is, is, you know, we can't always be looking for the perfect conditions because they don't often don't exist. I actually find myself now, if I'm in the perfect condition, I'm like, what's wrong here? I, I can't produce this. <laughs> right, what's right. going on? You know, here I am in the cafe and, and you know, I have a lovely cup of tea and, right. and the music that's playing is stuff that I like and, you know, it's nice and quiet and I'm like, I'm supposed to be writing. Maybe I should log on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I like what you said earlier, and I think Dean does it too, is where you guys have like a dedicated, you know, uh, writing computer and, you know, no distractions. Cause I think that's, that's part of it too, is the shiny quarter syndrome and, you know, anything we can do to not write, you know, but how do we kind of help ourselves kind of focus in and get the work done? I love yeah, that. It's like writing the other stuff, writing an email feels like writing, doing the business, doing the marketing, mm-hmm. doing the website feels like writing. But it's not really writing. Mm-hmm. Writing is fiction. It's words on the page. Yeah. More words on the page. I love it. Uh, so I know with, uh, WGM publishing, uh, so you write a lot of work through them, um, is, you know, so when you finish a, a work, what, what's the process from once, you know, Dean gives you the, okay, you get it back, you do whatever you do with your, your story and it goes to them. What's kind of the process next for, for getting it kind of out in the world? Well, what I do, um, since we, we started WMG, but it's actually run by Allison Longuera. Um, mm-hmm. and now we're in completely different communities and she has a good team of of people together who are, are putting everything out and, and getting it done. I usually give Allison a heads up that I have finished a draft. She usually knows what I'm working on um, ahead of time, but not always. I mean, she doesn't know what I'm working on right now, actually. Um, and I say I finished it, but Dean hasn't read it yet. And then when he has finished it, and if I don't have to do a lot with it, then I just send it to her. Um, and at that point, we start talking publishing. We start talking publishing strategies. Um, sometimes I say, I don't want to think about it. I'm going to let you guys decide. Because I have learned that I have a ton of knowledge, a real amazing amount of knowledge about publishing. And sometimes 
that gets in the way of publishing my own books correctly because I don't know what they are. I don't know what genre they are. Writers never can be the best judge of their own work. So what I may want for the book may be the exact wrong thing to do for the book. And that's why I hired really good, dedicated people to tell me, no, Chris, really, you know, this would probably be better this way. I mean, I have the final say if I want it. I usually don't exercise it. Um, and then they, they, um, Allison puts it on uh, the schedule, the publishing schedule, and figures out where it would fit. Sometimes, it, you know, it may be published within a month, and sometimes it may be published within a year, depending. Um, and then it goes to the copy editor. It, it gets a cover. They figure out how they're going to market it, if they're going to do. Sometimes we do what we call stealth marketing, which is we just publish it and then market it later. And sometimes we do a big push ahead of time. And, you know, it just depends on the project. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, you know, and I think that's the, the, the other thing is that I mean, people talk about self-publishing and really that's kind of a, a misnomer, you know, that there really is no just you and your books throwing them out in the world. I mean, it take, really does take a team of people, whether you're, you know, your first reader, your editors, your copy editors, your designers, your, you know, whoever, there's always so many people involved. And, um, and I think that's important. And I, and I think it also, like you said, sometimes there's, Hey, I don't want to think about it. I don't, I don't know what this is. I need help just to, yeah. you know, someone else to take care of it and make it maybe better than what it is or figure out you know, how to get it out there and all that. Um, that's really great. Um, so, so Christine, we've, uh, we've talked about a lot of things and, uh, you've, you know, we've pretty much hit everyone with the fire hose of, of you know, knowledge and wisdom and, and everything else. Um, uh, but one question I love to ask our, our, our guests, especially people like yourself and Dean and others who have just been writing a long time, seen a lot of things is, you know, for the writer that's sitting there, they maybe they got a short story. They, they got a book out there there, or they just got some manuscript they've been poking at for seven years. Um, is, you know, what would be some, you know, one to two to three kind of writerly truths that you'd want to share with that kind of starting beginning writer? Um, you know, here's where you need to begin. Here's what you need to be thinking about. What would be just some wisdom? I know you've said a lot of things, but if you could just kind of summarize it in a nutshell, you'd want to share with, with our community. I think writing is, it's, it's not brain surgery. It's not, you know, being a first responder. It's not, you know, all of that stuff. So when we say writing is hard, it's, hard because you're working inside your own head um and you know there are a lot easier a lot of easier ways to make money and to make a living and to to do all of that stuff so with all that in mind if you're going to become a professional writer you need to have fun doing it if the writing isn't fun if you've written your first book even if you're good at it even if you're wonderful at it and you hated every moment of it (laughs) do something else i mean uh, there's no reason to keep writing so have fun, but you have to hold that over your head all the way through. Writing should be fun, and that way when you get into the marketing and you get into all the ups and downs and you get reviews of your work, which you should not read, um, don't let them in your room. Don't let them in your head. Have fun. In your writing area, in your writing space, it's all about fun. That doesn't mean you shouldn't write cr- projects that make you cry or make you angry. Sometimes that's fun too. Just make sure that what you're doing is something you really, truly enjoy doing. And that includes learning about it. That includes doing all the other stuff. Um, the other thing I would tell people is remember that if you're young and you have family, family first, because those days never come back again. You can be too obsessed about the writing and the process and everything else. Just make sure that you keep a work-life balance. Um, and really don't call writing for work if you can avoid it because that puts the wrong attitude in your own head. It's what you do for a living. You're passionate about it. Stay passionate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's, those are great, great tips and advice and truth because, um, I know you have, you have done it and Dean has done it too, but also just writing publicly and showing people like you can, I mean, you guys run businesses, you got all kinds of things going on, you know, you got health issues, all, all things. And yet you've shown that you can still, you know, what I call right in the cracks of your life and still produce, you know, tons of great work and stories. And, and you don't have to, I mean, Dean's doing this crazy challenge right now. That's, you know, writing a novel and, you know, uh, was it 10 novels in, 10 novels in 100 days? Yeah. Right. And, but he, but he's showing you, Hey, I, I got to travel. I got to go here. I got to go there. And I'm still getting words on the page and, and, you know, and I have responsibilities. I'm running a business. I'm doing all these things. And, and, and I think that's important. And you guys are still spending time together. Apparently you still like each other. Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that's that all those things is keeping those priorities, you know, and, and you don't have to make it the, the all consuming thing and still have fun doing it. So thank you for that. That's really, really great. Um, so Christine, as 
we close up, um, two things, where can people find you? And then what do you have coming out? Uh, so people can go, go find your latest thing, uh, or anything that just came out. Okay. They can find me at chriswrites.com, K-R-I-S-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. And, uh, you know, my, do not use my website as a template for your website because my <laughs> website has been around since almost, and I am not making this up, almost the dawn of websites. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to shove it into the 21st century slowly. Um, and, uh, so, you know, but so it's, it's all, not as easy as I would like to find all the stuff that I do on that website, but poke around, you'll figure it out. Um, and, uh, I just had a new book come out last week. It's called searching for the fleet. It's in my science fiction diving universe. Um, I also had a self published book, uh, which is a reissue. It's, uh, an omnibus edition of my fantasy novel, fantasy life which uh, also has some short stories that are related to it and introduction. It's the author preferred edition of that. So that came out last week as well. And the uh, previously published nonfiction book that just came out in the spring is called um, Building Your Author Brand. Mm -hmm. Because I did a whole series of uh, author uh, posts on the business blog about branding, Mm -hmm. which is part of marketing and everything else. And and, uh, that book came out of that. Great. And if you get a chance, I'll put it in the show notes too. I know you had an interview with Joanna Penn. We've had Joanna on here a couple of times and uh, you talked about author brand a lot. And uh, I mean, almost the whole is like a masterclass in author brand. And I, <laughs> I love that interview because it kind of unearths what that really means. I think that word gets kind of thrown around and no one really knows what they're talking about, but, um, but you have some, some good insight into that. So check that out. Well, Christine, this has been an absolute privilege and it's been a lot of fun. And so thank you for making the time and you helped a lot of writers today. Go get her books. Uh, there's a ton of them. Um, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. You bet. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Christine Catherine Rush. Holy cow. So much to take in. Uh, take a breath. Take a breather. Uh, look over your notes. Look at all the things that she had to say. And uh, wow. Um, Christine has you know, been a successful writer and editor, a publisher. She started, you know, multiple publishing companies. She's so vulnerable talking about her ups and downs and, but just sticking it out and continuing on. And and that's really for the writer that those are the ones that are going to make it. It's, you're going to have bumps along the way. You're going to have ups and downs and that's just part of it. Uh, But being smart, being tenacious, just continually putting the words out there, continually, you know, not dying to those myths of rewriting, dying to the myths of what we think is, you know, success in publishing and not just looking for the short term win, I think is so important. And so thank you, Christine Catherine Rush, for coming on the show. Go check out her her blog, uh, chriswrites.com, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and all her books. Uh, she's a great writer and a great help. They have tons of also writer workshops. Uh, so go check those out on a variety of subjects if you just want to want to learn for some some long term writers and their workshops. Dean Wesley Smith is her husband, as I mentioned before, and they have some great uh, workshops and lectures that I've, I've taken as well and have helped me a ton in my writing and publishing and, and writing business. And so, so thank you, Christine, Catherine Rush for coming on the show. And before we close up shop today, uh, just real quick, Hey, if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this, uh, it really helps us get the show out in the world. I know the majority of people listen to iTunes. So if you leave a rating and review and uh, just an honest feedback, I'd love for you to do that. Such a, a blessing to be able to do this show and bring on some of the most prolific writers uh, in the world and share their, their goodness. And I get to share some of my, what I'm learning along the way. And it's just a, such a, a blessing. So thank you for the kind emails and feedback. Uh, it's so fun to do this show. And also if you get a chance, if you could go check out our uh, Patreon page um, through Project Entertainment Network. I'll put that in the show notes too. And if you'd like to support the show and other podcasts and, and get more um, podcasts out in the world and more uh, in- interviews and, and all the goodness, go check out the Patreon page. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So with that, as Catherine has told you, Christine has told you, I keep saying Catherine, Christine has told you, Catherine Rush, you need to go get those words on the page. Don't let anything hold you back. No, seriously, it's time. Just stop rewriting that novel from 1982. It's it's time to just get it out in the world. You, you need to just finish that up, okay? Okay. I'll talk to you real, real soon. Every person's story has something to teach us, how others view life. 
how obstacles are overcome, how joy is felt, how fears are faced, how love is expressed. The Matters of Faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part. It may not be your story, but it may help shape yours. The Matters of Faith podcast with Jay Wilburn is on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 